1: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: And I made the case last week that there are two different Greek words that are used. One is the word deacon. So in a sense, when you see a policeman pull you over, he's like a deacon in all humanity in in our country would be in their church, so to speak. The other is the word that we get the word worship from, almost a liturgical thing. So in other words, these people are guiding us, hopefully, in a better way to express our worship to the Lord. And I really find that way. When I know that there's not anarchy going on in our community and that I feel safe and protected and provided for by our government, that means I'm set up with a peaceful heart, ready then where I can worship the Lord more fully. So they facilitate that concept. That's how they serve us in that area. So they're servants of God. Civil government is only temporary. Now that's another whole sermon on the temporary nature of government. You'll notice that if you read scripture, just... As a history book, you're going to see there are different kinds of governments, and one government will replace another government. Some governments will begin to morph into change, etc., based on sin in their life and not following God, etc., but governments will come and go. There's no perfect, never-ending government, except for the kingdom of God, and God will establish his future reign, obviously in the future, when the kingdom of God will totally be lived out here during the millennium. So now what do we do when we understand that uh, government has a purpose, God designed government for us, that these people that enforce government are to be servants of God for us? That's the key part, that they're doing it for the Lord, as unto the Lord, and that's only temporary. What should we do? We should appreciate that. We should understand, Lord, you put all of this together as part of your mechanism so that we would live and breathe and be able to go about our business in a safe and secure community. Now again, you see it in other countries that they're not. That's not the fault of God. That's not the fault of government. That is the fault of sinful people in government not living this as unto the one and true God. And that just reminds us, again, why we're all involved in local and global evangelism. So what are some things that we ought to do here? There's one main thing, and that is that we need to realize that government, their main purpose is to protect and to serve us. I don't care what country, what period of time, that's the ultimate nature given by God to those people. They're to protect us, from ourselves, protect us, from our enemies, they're to protect us, and the other is they're to serve us. The biggest question now is, how do they protect and serve us? Last week, we've covered three areas, and I've given you a lot of scriptures, and we went over those, but let's look at those one more time. They do that by protecting our personal and our property rights. And you see that, according to the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, but you can go through the rest of Scripture and the principles. So we have laws that are in place that are biblical laws. Now let me pause for a moment. Some of you might have heard, and it's an accurate statement, it's called the biblical basis of the constitution. One of the things about our form of government that we have, which is more of a republic, but is based upon our constitution, is because there's a biblical base for it. Now, I've always believed that, but I decided to bring someone in to do a whole seminar for our church that I pastored many years ago. I had the mayor of San Antonio, who was a constitutionalist, who got his degree in constitutional law from Harvard University. And so I said, would you mind coming in and just, I know you're a busy man, would you just spend 10 minutes and give us from your perspective to open this up our whole session on the biblical basis of the Constitution? I expected 10 minutes. When he got up to speak, he said, I am so passionate about this very topic that Dr. Pons had had me speak on that I've canceled the rest of my speaking engagements for the morning and I would like to open this up. And this man did probably the finest articulation on how we got our constitution through the minds of those who then came together to frame our constitution and what how those men got their mind and where they got their mind from, from the spiritual influence that they got from their spiritual biblical mentors that came over from Europe, that then influenced them, that influenced the ones that influenced them, that finally they came together with such a an ownership Of a constitution that is built upon the fact that men are sinners, but if they're governed by God, this can work. And so now you have the constitution and the outflow from that. Now that I gave you in about three minutes. He then spent nearly three hours doing that and he never even plummeted its depths of the truth of that. So again, when we say that they're here to protect our personal property rights, that is still is based upon the clear understanding of Scripture, of course. Now, number two is to provide us a conflict resolution between people. And you see the example of Moses knowing that there was a lot of conflicts going on, he couldn't handle it all, so he put together a group of guys to help them with that. Those guys weren't his buddies, his, his kitchen cabinet, it wasn't his cronies. It was people that had certain qualifications, then he made sure that the people knew what those qualifications are, and then they said, you now pick them out, you pick them out based on this, then I'll appoint them back to you. Now let me pause again and share something with you. When I came to this church uh, 10, 11 years ago, um, I'm not exactly sure how we selected our deacons at this church, which happens to be our more, uh, I don't want to say governing board, probably it is that, but a little bit more of a servant governing board. But I felt like in order to get the right person in office, I'm not so concerned about that person. I'm more concerned about the process. If you have the process right, then you'll have a higher uh, statistics to get the right person. So we need to have the right thing in place. So that's why we are probably one of the more unusual churches that we don't just nominate someone for deacons. What we do is we submit the qualifications. This is what the men need to be like in order for them to be in a place of spiritual servant leadership in our church. Then we give that to you, then we ask you, knowing that you know the people very well, these are your brothers in Christ, hopefully you've got a chance to relationally get to know them, and that's why we have so many fellowships, so you can watch them in church and out in the community. And then now from those people then you would select who they are so we look for godly men who fit the qualification of a deacon at the same time been in the church long enough so they know a little bit about our church culture here so they can give sound wisdom based on knowledge and so now you put those guys out there now once those names are there that's not even a nomination all that is a suggestion that then comes to us that list then pastor dennis and i We'll look over that list of men, and then we begin to write them a letter and say, this is the qualifications, but in addition to that, there's some practical things. Can you even come to deacons' meetings? You know, that kind of thing. You can be a great guy, but you can't come to meetings. It's not going to work. So we put that out, then we interview the person, get acquainted with them to understand what they can do and what they feel comfortable with, answer questions. We deal with their wife as well, because we know that you might have five deacons, but you really have 10 deacons, five come to the meeting. That's a little humor there, just relax. All right, so we realize that we have that going on. And that's important because we don't want a guy to want it and the wife doesn't for him to have that. So once we have that, then we don't just like, you know, Stan and Dennis's good old boy friends You know, no. then we submit it to a larger group of the current deacons because they're going to have to live with the new guys and vice versa. Then those guys look over that list. And by the way, let me pause and say they too can make their recommendations. So it's not like they can't until they get this list. So we all have the list together. And then from that list, then we see those that are properly qualified, but we're not done yet. All right. So then what we do is we present it back to you and say, these are the guys that have been vetted from prayer and discussion and talking to them and answering questions, we then give it to you for at least two weeks, sometimes more, so that if you know that we, you see them do something nefarious or uh, what's another word might be, would be contrary to what a, a good deacon would be like, then you could let us know what that would be. So we could go to that person and have a little talk to find out, is that true, or is it not? So that when we put them before you, then you'll know it. So two weeks, you can have your opportunity to talk to us, talk to them, et cetera. But by the time we're actually voting, there's no more discussion. You've had plenty of time, we've done all the work that we could, so now it's a time that we fish or cut bait. And this time we're gonna fish. So we put it out before you, then we request, is there a nomination, do you nominate? And then we go on to the final, final deal. Now, where did I get all of that? Essentially, I got it from two basic portions of Scripture. One was the Old Testament when Moses said, you select these guys. And then in the New Testament, when they were picking out what we might want to refer to as deacons in Acts chapter 6, although I don't think I'm going to die on the hill. I think this may be a model for future deacons. But the idea was, who's going to take care of servants? And they said, not anybody. These leaders had to beat certain qualifications. So they put it out. I'm saying all of that to simply say this. That we picked out people who then can go back and serve because not one person can do that. And there's accountability, there's evaluation, and there's ownership with it. And that's how it's set up for healthy governments. And God has designed it that way. And I'm using only biblical models to do that. And then the third is to punish lawbreakers. Now, that sounds so harsh when I say punish lawbreakers. You know, I, I... And we've all probably gotten some kind of a speeding ticket. I hope you've never gotten anything beyond that or another kind of a fine. And I hope it was all done out of ignorance rather than knowing you've done it. But that may be the case. I've listed three ways that the government not only has the laws, but now they have to empower people to enforce those laws and eventually even bring further um, disciplinary action. The police, basically, all their job is to protect and serve you, to uh, minimize conflict, minimize Um, a dangerous drama situation and then to pull the person away if they've done something wrong they incarcerate them momentarily to sort all of this stuff out and then once they do that then they take it into the court system again three things one is to provide a fine of some type whether it's a speeding ticket or a fine the other is to go a little bit further than that and there is an incarceration level and then finally if there needs to be capital punishment If you want to uh, go further on the whole capital punishment issue, I would just like to say it is better to go back to to a biblical statement of what God says um, and not let the drama of we might execute the wrong person. That might happen. I can can certainly accept that. But on the other hand, if we begin to allow people to subjugate what's existing biblical law, then where does it really end? Then we become, watch this, a law unto ourselves, and if more people are like that, and it lasts a longer period of time, we end up becoming the last chapter of the book of Judges. We're doing that which is right in our own eyes. So we have to follow something anyway, and it's got to be scripture. Now that's what we covered last week. Now I need to get quickly into this so we can finish it this week. I want to talk about the responsibilities. There are six of these, and some of them are real clear responsibilities. Some of them are more of an attitudinal responsibility that we have. And I like to approach it from that perspective because I like us to... Um, live our christian life from the inside out not merely from the outside now sometimes we have to do it sometimes we have to do it even if we don't think it's right because that's part of keeping the game and the ball in play but it's better to do it from the inside out so what's number 1 all right obviously to fulfill our responsibilities but what's number 1 we are to remember that we have dual citizenship i put that first because i wanted christians to realize that we are different obviously from the world in so many ways but one of those ways is the inner tension that we have. And that's why with Christians, you'll, you'll see those that want to lock themselves to abortuaries. You'll have others that will want to just uh, maybe vote for someone who believes in pro-life. Uh, or maybe just not even do that, just pray. It, it doesn't matter. But you've got the voices coming at you. So how do we, how do we settle this? How, how do we make it work? The thing you that are Christians now need to realize that we have a dual citizenship. Now let me stop and take one step back if I can. One step back. I really want to encourage you moms and dads to um, first of all, believe this in your heart. And if if you're having struggle with what I'll be teaching in the next 20 minutes or so, on any part, you, you do not understand something or I didn't make it clear or you have one of those what about or what if questions, come see me. I don't say that I have all the answers. I do not. But maybe together will help each other to really understand God's mind on this. I think I understand enough of it now to be able to help you. I'm saying this for a reason. So you need to own it. The second thing is, I would hope that with your children, there's a lot to teach your children. I get that. And you should teach them about how to be a good mom, a good dad, a good husband, a good wife, good person. I I get that too. But how often are you really teaching them what it means to be a good, watch this, Christian citizen. And that's where it really gets different. Because now, being a good Christian citizen, now it takes the realization that there are times that we're going to have to say no to government. And it may even involve fines. It may even involve incarceration. Uh, and never involve capital punishment. But it might be the ultimate of sacrifice of persecution of some kind. It may come to that, you know. I look at all of this and I realize that what I'm teaching you now is probably in the safest, most wonderful governmental system on planet Earth, the United States of America. But what was written was written right before the perfect storm, a persecution for Christian that the world has ever known. The beginning of Domitian was probably a little, little baby. Nero was a a little glimmer in his parents' eyes. And all of a sudden they get born, they begin to grow. And then another century later, they are now burning Christians at the stake. And it goes on from century to century to century for whatever a Christian wanted to do to stand up for what was right. And so this was written preparing them as they go through that. And so sometimes when I sit in my office and I look over this, I'm wondering, now, stand here you've got just a handful of people. And I, am I just a tiny little voice in the wilderness? And maybe there's a little prophetic thing I'm I'm now into right now, and I'm not. I don't have a message from God, but I'm just wondering if maybe we're going to be heading in that same direction. And if not us, our children, and will we prepare our children for this? I mean, it gets really complicated, folks. This this is. It, it's easy for me to preach, but it's sometimes hard to interpret in some areas, or at least to apply. You know, if I was speaking of this in mainland, 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 let <laughs> say mainland America, mainland, mainland. It wouldn't be as difficult, but when I speak these truths into an an island state that has a, a significant amount of people that are all over the map on the sovereignty movement, and where does that fit to them to submit to that whole thing to submit to not submit to? Did it was it how, how do I who said what when where what did they right? What did, it gets really confusing, but you don't have to live in the muck and the mire of confusion. There is a way to look at it. And the first thing we have to realize is that. I am a citizen of two locations. Let me read to you Philippians for just a moment. verse uh, or Philippians uh, chapter uh, 3. And it says to Christians. Paul writing this to them. He says for our citizenship. And by the way that's a word that means politics or political in the Greek. That's what we get our word from that. For our citizenship is in heaven. I like that. Even though I'm on planet earth here. It is in heaven And then it says, from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me see if I can use this illustration. Lean into this, if you will. Because this is a perfect island illustration. When I go snorkeling at Hanama Bay, I mean Hanama Bay, when I go snorkeling there and I want to look underwater and I don't want to hold my breath, I have a snorkel. So I am breathing underwater, but I am breathing from another environment. If I go scuba diving, I'm under the water, and I'm much longer under the water, but I'm breathing from another environment. The tanks that are on my back. So I'm a Christian in this environment, but I live based on what I get from my other environment, which is in heaven that God now gives to me. It's a spiritual environment that I have. So I have dual citizenship. I can be in two places, essentially, all right? Positionally, I'm already in heaven. Practically, I'm already here. But my primary is in heaven. My temporary is right here. So I need to keep that in mind. Now, in Luke chapter 2, there was a dilemma that was presented to Christ. Same basic thought. All right, what are we supposed to do? Who are we supposed to honor? And he said, here, give me your coin. And he held up his coin. Remember, that denarius. He held it up and he said, whose image do you see on this? If I held up a dollar bill, I'd say, whose image would you see on this? And you'd see the president representing our government, so to speak. And he says, to one, you give them that. To the other, you give them that. That means we have, watch this, two allegiances. That's again where it gets a little more difficult because while I want to be allegiant to my government, I can't look to them as my ultimate God. While I look to my government to protect and to provide for me or make things secure for me, ultimately I can't look to them either because they're still fraught with frailty and depravity. So I have to look to God. And that's the, this is so cool. That's why for a Christian, even though we have the dilemma between two citizenships, we still have the better because we have God who will always take care of us if not in this life, in the next life. He will always protect us. Maybe not always in this life as some will die and get beheaded for their faith. We see that happening almost daily in other parts of the world. Yet at the same time, we we know that we're protected because no matter what happens to our body here, that sword cannot cut apart the soul and the spirit of us because we have eternal life. That's what we have that the world doesn't have. And so that again, thrusts me out into global evangelism so that other people could understand that we have two of those. So again, what does Caesar get? He gets our taxes. What does God get? He gets my life, my loyalty, and all of my allegiance. Seek first the kingdom of God. Number two, so keep that in mind. We have to remember we have dual citizenship. That's why there's going to be a little bit of this tension, but number two might help us out. Our primary obedience is to God. Now, however you write that, circle the word primary. Primary. We are to obey both, but there's going to be a time, because you can't serve two masters, that you have to then pick one. If you have two masters, you have what? You have a monster. If you have no head, you have a dead body. So for us, we have God. Our primary obedience is to God. So underline the word primary. And of course, I love the phrase, and it's around a lot, we, some military will use this, I serve God and what? Country. I like that because it's right. I do serve God and country, but what comes first, God or country? You answer that, everybody. All right. When you say the Pledge of Allegiance, not going through the whole thing, it says one nation what, everyone? Under God. God. It doesn't say one nation equal to God, one nation without God, one nation over God. It says one nation under God. So we are one nation, but we are still under God. Again, that goes to point number one, the tension. But then number two, there is a choice. I am to fully obey my government and its laws until those laws violate God. And by the way, the the interesting thing is, I see people today that they're so afraid of conflict that they will even throw God under the bus. Then you have those that um, they're so self-righteous that they want to throw the government under the bus. And so, I, I wish I had another Sunday to teach you this, but there's a whole... I live by a set of appeals. If I feel like someone is asking me to do something that I do not think is right, I don't immediately disobey folks. You might think Stan really likes fighting. He's a little Chloe. I I am a little bit, but I don't don't, don't, know. So I have what I call what I do when I am asked to do something that I don't think is right. I might need to teach that to you or send it out in a blog because I think if you own that, it'll help you teach your kids. How do you respond without immediately saying, better obey God than man. And right away you get yourself into trouble when you could have changed the heart of man properly if you did it that way so back to this over here and there's a there's two passages of scripture you don't have time to go through it time's going fast but read acts chapter 4 and acts chapter 5 you're going to see these guys are almost responding in the same way they're asked to do something that they don't think that is right they make their statement and what do they do they say it's better to obey god than man the next time they say it again better obey god than man and you're going to see that as a result of that it wasn't like woo, everything is great they got persecuted So at times when you do have to say it's better to obey God than man, there will be, um, here's a word, consequences that we might have to pay. So we have to think through that very, very carefully and how we want to handle that. Again, only God deserves our primary allegiance and to keep it in that proper vein. Now, going back to what I said a moment ago about um, making an appeal. Those of you that have been in the Bible a long time, Go down memory lane. Who in the Bible do you know that was told to do something that this person did not think was right? But instead of saying, I'm going to obey God and not man, he made an appeal. Do you know a Bible character in the Old Testament that made an appeal to his authority figure? And that authority figure allowed him to take on that appeal with the caveat as a test to see if it's really going to work. Who is that, everybody? Daniel. Daniel did that. Yet at another time in the very same book, you're going to see a time when that there was no appealing process available. And so then Daniel had to do what he had to do. And what happened to him? Where was he cast? Into the lion's den. So you see there are times that you'll make an appeal. Sometimes you're not given an appeal. The beautiful part of America is that we often have an appellate process that we can do. So I don't want you to jump right into a disobeyed uh, um, uh, man and obey God. I want you to know there is an appellate process in many cases, but not in all cases. Let me jump to number three now so we can get through these. These are very important. They all kind of hang together. We are to obey the law whenever possible. Now, you may write in obey the law, but I also want you to circle whenever possible. I want to read to you Titus chapter three, verse one. All right. It begins by saying, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. Let's stop there for a moment. If you're looking at your own Bible, you might want to just look at the first two words. It says, remind them. What does that mean? Here's what that means, folks, and I hope you will appreciate this. Paul is now writing to Titus who is now to plant churches on the Isle of Crete that again is filled with swashbuckling pirates at the time because it was one of those really rowdy islands where pirates then would go. The gospel permeated the depravity of those men and women that they came to faith in Christ all over the island but they had no leadership so it was supposed to establish leadership. Then Paul says to Titus, he says, remind them that these folks do need to Respond to authority figures now that is so cool because most pirates you know there's there's no honor among thieves so to speak so they had a tremendous authority problem they had a a tremendous I'm going to do it my way when I want it, me first itis kind of disease with those people and now Titus is being told remind them they need to submit to authority the other key word is remind which means that Titus might have been told or That Titus had already begun telling them that, but he needed to be reminded, don't forget to keep doing this. Keep on doing it. Now, how does that fit into us? Some of you might say, well, Stan, I already know all of this stuff. Can you get me something else? I'm not being fed at this church. I'll go somewhere else. There are times that God says, you need to be reminded, 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 reminded. And when I read this, I need to be reminded myself. Now, think about that for a moment. How many times that people will slip me money? When I speak here and I speak, speak there, and it's a, it's a cash or a check, and I'm given that. And, of course, you think, well, you can keep it, can't you? You know, I've got to pay taxes on that, folks.
1: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Ponds, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.